want to welcome you to Zooming Out with myself, Michael, Chris, and Matt. We're college friends who graduated from UC Berkeley in 2018. We're here to zoom out from day-to-day quarantine life, reflect upon and share our experiences and stories from our college days and our lives now as postgrads. Hey, we're back and we want to welcome all of our listeners to episode 22 of the Zooming Out podcast. And we're continuing in our series on church planning. And with that, it's my honor to introduce a very special guest. His name is Noah Oldham, and Noah is the lead pastor of August Gate Church in St. Louis, and he serves as the senior director of church planter deployment for the Send Network, one of our partners at Grace Point. Noah also is a co-host of his own podcast, along with Dahadi Lewis, called the We Are the Send Network podcast. We're really excited to have you on, Noah, and get to hear from you about your journey with church planting and all the lessons and experiences you've had over the years. Man, thank you so much, guys, first and foremost, for having me on. It is an honor. Um, man, my story, I hope we have enough time to tell the story of church planting, but do it, said, do my it. Name, hey, Rico, my name is Noah Oldham. I am the lead pastor of August Gate Church in St. Louis. August Gate is a really weird name for a church, but um, it, it's a play on words for our vision. So I grew up in a farming community, and every year in August, farmers get ready for the fall harvest. St. Louis is the gateway city. We put it together, August Gate harvest st louis and that's our vision luke 10 2 the harvest is plentiful the laborers are few we believe god called our family my wife and i to st louis to be a part of a church planting movement with that would harvest souls all throughout the st louis region to the ends of the earth and by god's grace he's allowed us to do that my wife and i have been married for 15 plus years now we have five kids 11 all the way down to one and we've been church planting since very early into our marriage. Uh, in fact, we knew that was probably going to be a part of what God had called us to do. So my church planning story goes all the way back, guys, to college. So I love the context of this podcast, young adults, college students. Um, I'm in college. I'm a brand new Christian. I get saved at 17. I go to college on a football scholarship. And while I'm there, I get hurt. And I realize, man, God has other plans for me. I'm sharing the gospel on campus. I'm involved in campus ministries. And what I'm finding is two things. Number one, uh, people are leaving the church in a mass exodus. People my age, 20s, 30s, they're leaving the church. Why? And I begin to ask. And the first reason I find out is because they weren't Christians to begin with. They grew up in the church. Their parents made them go. Their grandparents made them go. They got to college, made their own choices. They bailed. The second reason, though, didn't sit with me well. And that was they were leaving because they felt like the church was irrelevant for them. And I'm a brand new Christian. I'm like, the gospel is transforming my life every single day. As I read the Bible, I'm like walking around campus. Did you know that it said that in there? You know, I'm trying to tell people what the Lord is teaching me. And um, people are saying the gospel is irrelevant. The church is irrelevant. I'm like, no way. And I remember looking at my roommate and saying, what would it look like to start a church for all of these people one day? And I had never heard of church planting before. And so lo and behold, a few years later, God called those very people, myself and my college roommate, to plant a church in downtown St. Louis. And uh, we've, we've been going now for 11 years, have seen um, a number of churches planted out of our church, and uh, God's just doing great stuff. That's the, that's the introduction to my story there in a nutshell. That's really awesome. Yeah, that, that explanation of August Gate, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, something that definitely I've been thinking about just recently, just the, yeah, that verse, the harvest is plentiful. Like, yeah, that, that attitude of like, man, like you just look around and you see like, yeah, for you at your own college campus and for us, just like the people that we just walk by every day or like people that we see like at work or at school, like it's, it's insane. Like, you know, even what a couple guys, you know, in a, you know, a couple roommates could do, you know, I'm sure you've, you know, touched a lot of people, you've met a lot of people and you've yeah brought a lot of people to Christ. And it's, it's that kind of like, rat, like crazy, like nighttime moments where like you're sort of like staring at the slats of the bed under your roommate um, and you're just sort of like talking and yeah I think a lot of people like it's people look at that and sort of like look down on it or sort of disdain those moments of like man like what would it look like you know that like your story like what would it look like if we just went all out for God but man those are I think for me like those are the moments I go back to again and again as like the clearest moments of my life when life was just clear and things just made sense and it's like when all the other like frivolous stuff of life just sort of gets in the way that's when it becomes unclear but then we like for me like I think that that's oh this is reality but yeah just just hearing from you like as an older one someone that's farther ahead of us and just seeing like that it's going back to that story going back to that initial like love 
that first love for God. Like, I think that's something that I really admire and want to hold on to for sure. You know, as you know, I'm out here like on a smaller church plant as well. Definitely something that I've been learning a lot this past year, like just being out here and needing to go back to my own initial story and like remembering, man, like I love God and you know, these people need Jesus, you know, and it's just, it's just that simple. Yeah. Wanting wanting people around you, wanting people around you to experience what you've experienced. I mean, being a new Christian when I went to college, it was, it was everything. I grew up in going to church. My mom took me to church. My dad was an atheist. My mom was this really strong believer, but man, God was just a, a concept to me. And when I was transformed, it's like, I, I have to tell this story. And what was, what was so interesting is like, you know, it, it wasn't just, um, it wasn't that I had nothing better to do. You know, like I went to college to play football, but I was also, I was also a, um, I had a full academic scholarship. I was, I was, I don't look like it. I don't sound like it, but I was a smart kid in high school. Um, I, I was an honors program all throughout college. I was going to be a lawyer or a doctor or both. I was trying to consider <laughs> what I was going to do to make the most money. I mean, so much in fact that when my dad, who wasn't a Christian at the time, but is now, when my dad found out that I was giving up my college career that I was pursuing to go into full-time ministry, he told my mom that I was wasting my life because he was sure both of my brothers are doctors he was sure I was going to be the doctor that cured cancer. Like he was absolutely assured of that in his brain. And, um, and God, I mean, this may get a little too charismatic for, for some people, but I am October 26th of 2001. I'm in my dorm room. I came back from sharing the gospel with my atheist anthropology professor. I just, I was trying to convince her the truth of the gospel. Cause she told us in our first class that Jesus, you know, was, was a farce. And I'm wow, trying to explain to her wow. using all of these different um, classical apologetics arguments. I come back to email my mom about the experience. It's back when the, the phone line, the, the internet lines were, were uh, dial up. So it was really, really slow <laughs> in my <Dang>. college dorm. <laughs> and uh, I'm telling her, I'm explaining the meeting with her. And I typed the words, I just want to tell. Didn't even finish the thought. The spirit of God shows up in my dorm room and I never had experience like this before or necessarily exactly like it after God meets with me. And in this, all I can call it is like a vision with the Lord. He shows me what I thought my future was going to be. And I felt a deep sense of guilt and shame, not the kind that leads me to despair, the kind that left, left me in tears, but also in hope that I've been planning my entire life. He's like, I saved you. I've called you and you're going to sacrifice this great call that I have for your life for something small, smaller. It's whatever I have for you. Anything else is smaller. And I remember in that moment, God just saying, you're going to tell, you're going to tell, you're going to tell. And, and so that next day, it's just like, I, I, I'm, I'm going to spend my life telling people about the gospel. Now I, I, I kept trying to come up with a backup plan. Okay. I'll, I'll go to law school still so that I can I can do this and pay for it, you know, pay for the telling. No, no, that's not going to work. Okay, I'll be a teacher. No, that's not going to work. Finally, one of my uh, professors who didn't like my uh, outspokenness on campus said, hey, let me help you get out of here in four years. And so she helped me get on a degree program that would graduate me as quick as possible so I could quit upsetting the apple cart on campus. I was a little <laughs> bit of a prophet. So but anyway, man, all that to say, like all of, all of these experiences that I have, even now, I'm 38 years old. I think back on when the Lord did most refining and shaping and development, it was back in my late teens and my early 20s. The years of freedom, the years of passion, the years of dreaming, the years of believing. Like I'm a father of five now. I got to consider a lot of things when I make decisions. Mm-hmm. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians. You know, the thing about being married is all of a sudden you got all these other things you've got to be concerned with biblically, having kids, all these other things. But when you're in your early 20s and you're single, man, you can just do anything and believe anything and dream anything for the Lord. And God did so much in those early years, man, to shape my heart and set me on a trajectory. And I think that's one of the challenges I'd have for, uh, for your demographic that you guys are speaking to and, and you guys are, is like, don't settle for less than what God wants for you. And the only way you're going to know what that is, is you got to ask him. You got to ask him and then be willing to receive what he says to you when he, when he responds. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Just that experience of how I can't imagine what it'd be like to go up to an atheist hostile, <laughs> explicitly hostile, you know, professor at university at Berkeley. I feel like I would have 
been like terrified to do that's crazy I, I love that you touched on like that you know those dreams and those hopes when when you were young and then when we're single when we're not attached to a bunch of things because i think one experience that i have a lot with my parents who are non-christian is they often will say things and they'll say it to my face they're like oh you're going through a phase like you're you're in your college years you're in your uh single like single in your early 20s you know chris once you get married once you have kids like oh this is this is a face like this will this will pass and they, they i'm sure they tell that to each other behind my back but they'll say it to my face too um but yeah i guess what i, I don't really know what my question is but like when when you think about like those times of a passion of joy for god of of yeah really wanting to go all out when you're not attached with so many things in life like how would you you know, to us, like, how would you speak to us or you share with us some of your wisdom about like channeling that, that excitement yeah. in our early years so that it's sustainable. It's not just a face. So it doesn't become just a face yeah. as a lot of people would say. Yeah. I, I think that the American dream, and it's not just an American, it's not exclusively American. I think every culture has it, but it's this thing of like, you need to grow up and you need to settle down and you need to be responsible and you need to do the right thing. You know, in sh- certain cultures, that's mean, that means certain things, in American culture, it often means you got to get the best paying job and you've got to get the most security and have retirement and all those benefits. Um, but I think one of the things that the Bible is trying to teach us over and over again, Jesus himself, and then the apostle Paul, and then the other epistle writers, they're trying to convince us over and over again, not to do that, to not like, there's a, there's a period of time where we get to work. There's an author that I love, Erwin McManus, a lot of his writings shaped my early church planting life, but Erwin McManus wrote a number of books, but one of them is called Chasing Daylight. And it's, it's from the text where Jesus says, we work while it's day and we work because the night is coming when you can no longer work. And, and he had another book called The Barbarian Way. And it's all about this, this warrior barbarian mentality of the person who is willing to trust God and is willing to, to do the radical thing. Like they're considered weird. But, but the biblical understanding is the person who settles, the person who, who doesn't take God at his word. That's the weird one. That's the one that doesn't fit in because we're, we're supposed to be ordinary radicals. We're supposed to hear the voice of the Lord speak and direct us. We're supposed to be like John 3 says, moved by the spirit like the wind. I mean, that's the ordinary life of the Christian. And we have just uh, you know, we've, we've tamed it. We, we've, we've gone from the barbarian to the, to the tamed. And I think God wants to transform that. And so every context of life, it's going to look a little different because if I don't provide for my family, I am worse than a non-believer, scripture tells me. And so I do need to make sure that I'm responsible and doing things, but, but I still have, I have to listen to the voice of the Lord and, and say, what does that provision look like from you? Does it mean going to get this nine to five job that does this, this, and this, or does it mean this radical lifestyle of lowering my standard of living so that I can plant churches and, and, you know, living in a certain place so I can be among the mission of God where he's called me. So I would just tell, I would tell young adults, I tell everybody though, I go make sure you're shaping your idea of sociology of the future of, of all of that on the Bible and not on some cultural norm that's out there because cultures are going to shift and they're going to change but the bible is going to stay the same the word of the lord stands forever and it's going to contextualize for sure but it's always going to call us to this radical thing that the rest of the world just looks at and says uh i don't know if that's good but um i pray if you are in a phase brother i hope you never get out of it (laughs) i hope this is your phase for the rest of your life for sure i think like something that yeah I, i think like I think, yeah, us three can sort of attest to feeling is, yeah, it, it sort of comes in like, yeah, like there's these moments of like fervor and like, yeah, you feel like the world is all telling you to like, it's telling you to like sort of settle down and sort of make sure that you have your life figured out. And yeah, only then you can give whatever's left to God and sort of like, yeah, if, if you have time or like, you know, I'll figure out my own problems first and then sort of figure out my life and then I'll get to that God stuff later. Yeah. But I think like something that for me that I've experienced, like, so just a little bit for, yeah, just for, you know, like just my own stories after, after I graduated, I took a year off to sort of be, do this intern thing that our church does where um, it's called CPI church plan intern, where we just take a year off, you know, we go full-time ministry just for a year, just go to one of our smaller churches and serve there just for a year, no job, just go there and, 
yeah, we live off of like a stipend that we get as gifts from our friends um, through their, these generous guys that I'm sure helped help me get through that year. But yeah, I took a year off and just said yes to God. And honestly, like, yeah, I think for maybe it's an Asian thing. I don't know. Like I didn't like there's no like um, for me, it wasn't really like a moment of like I knew, you know, like God was telling me like this is like the way that you wanted to live before, that's all wrong, you know? But I think for me, it was just sort of that idea um, of like discerning the end that it talks, that um, the psalmist talk about, like discerning the end of the wicked and Mm -hmm. just considering that and just thinking about that and remembering that, you know, what God wants for me is not something small, like you were saying, It's it's, it's, it's a life of adventure, right? And yeah, that doesn't appeal to everybody, I think. And so like for me, what it was is, yeah, it didn't appeal to me at the time, but I think it was that simple, just saying yes to Jesus, you know, one step at a time. I think that's something that's definitely like helped in, in the journey. So I, I know like you're, you've been on a long like church planting journey. Like you're, yeah, again, you're farther ahead of us, <laughs> ahead than us. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if you've had like those moments of like doubt along the way or like just sort of like really difficult times where it just felt like, man, you didn't, you weren't sure about, you know, if this was how you wanted to live and, just if you could share just like how you got through that time or like, yeah, just, just your thoughts or ex- and your experiences. Yeah, guys, my story is um, it's not all uh, a straight line and it's not all uh, glory and victory. So God called me to plant a church in 2006, the fall of 2006. My wife and I are having conversations about this burning desire to reach the unchurched 20s and 30s of our generation, the most unchurched generation our culture's ever seen. Um, and that, that those people didn't exist in my hometown where I went back to be a youth pastor. They, they moved out of small farming communities to cities and suburban areas, and they never came back unless they're going to teach, farm, or be a doctor. That's, that's all that exists in my hometown. Schools, old people, and, uh, and those who serve them. I mean, that's just really what it is. And so we knew if we we're going to reach them, we had to go to a city. So I came to my senior pastor on January 1st, 2007. I told him, God's called me to plant a church. 18 days later, I was forced to resign from the ministry there. Not, not in a mean way, but it was just like, if God's calling you to go plant a church, go plant a church. Well, I had nowhere to go and nothing to do. I was just telling him, God's calling me. I kind of meant, help me figure this out. <laughs> well, he helped me figure it out. That night, I was life lighted to a hospital an hour and a half away with a stress-induced heart condition called pericarditis. So I developed a heart condition in my early 20s from stress from all of this happening. Um, I was in the ICU for a week. I was on bed rest for a month. I gained an enormous amount of weight. I lost my hair. Um, so I was fat and bald and jobless. There was a church in the St. Louis area that said, hey, we want to plant a church in, a, in, in like a year from now. Come here and be on our team as a church planting resident, and we'll send you out to plant this church. So I come there to do that. Three days after I signed papers on a new house to be a part of their program and develop and a house in the area I was going to plant, their leadership team met and told me, never mind, the lead pastor spoke out of turn. We're not going to plant a church for at least four years. You can just be our youth pastor. Well, I went from a church that had about 200 kids in the youth ministry to 20. And that was just the tip of the iceberg of the miscommunication and you know, false promises. Needless to say, three months later, I was homeless and jobless, packing all of my stuff up, putting it into a storage unit, moving to South Florida to live with my in-laws, and then putting my house we had just bought on the market for rent because we could no longer pay the mortgage because I lost my job at that church. And so in the middle of 2007, or by the end of 2007, I was homeless, jobless, a thousand miles from the city I thought God was calling me to plant a church in. I was fat, I was bald, I was sad, I was angry. My mom died in the midst of all of that. And then doctors told me I'd never be able to have kids. That was my 2007. And um, man, God just crushed me during that year. And there were times, brothers, I'm like, did God call me to plant a church? Like, what is this? And what God did during that season is he refined the call. Like, like whether or not you plant this church that looks like this, that's not the question. It's, will you obey me? Will you follow me? Is my whole life yours? Do you trust me that I hold you in my hand? And God provided, he provided. And I was there for a year and coming on staff at my father-in-law's church and did a, an interim role. And I learned underneath him how to be a lead pastor, moved back to St. Louis, did a church planning residency with my, the guy who discipled me in college. And then we moved down to downtown St. Louis to plant. But 
Um, all that to say is that that whole season was just ins and outs, ups and downs, wondering and questioning. And here's what it really came down to. And I, I think that I think that the listeners need to grab a hold of this. Whether you're called to be a lead church planter or on a church planting team, or you're just a member of a church that should be multiplying, should desire multiplication. I believe that is one of my mentors said this to me early on, that it is one of the jobs of a pastor to sit across the table from another person in their church and to teach them biblically that their job is just as spiritual as mine. That your job is just a spiritual meaning that all of us are full-time missionaries. We just get our paychecks from a different place. I get mine from the North American Mission Board as the senior director of church planning deployments. You might get yours from Starbucks. You might get yours from a law firm. You might get yours as a school teacher. But I think we begin to look at all of life as the mission of God and our job as the, what fuels that, what function, what helps uh, fund that, then all of a sudden we're all in the same playing field. And it's not like, well, we dichotomize life and the real deep spiritual work gets reserved for those people over there who are full-time missionaries. But if we're all full-time missionaries, we just say, how do we do this together? And that's what I love about really the genius of, of y'all's family of churches. I see that happening. I see you guys get multiplication. You see sowing into the movement. So, um, but yeah, doubts, questions, fears, you're going to have them. And that's why I think you got to have community around you that believes in the same call that God has for you as for them so that when you start to stumble, because in the midst of that season, my uncle called me, my uncle Mike, kind of a newer believer, but super encourager. He called me and said, Noah, I'm sorry this is all happening, but I pray you won't, you won't give up on the call God has. And I was like, I can't give up on that. That's all I got. Like, I don't have the house. I don't have the job. I don't have the career. I have nothing else but the call. And so if I give up, give up that, I have nothing. And I think that we got to get to that point when we still have all the stuff that we're saying, all I have is the call. Everything else is the trappings that, that help push the call forward. Wow, man, that's, that's good stuff, man. And <laughs> yeah, thanks for sharing that, that story. And man, I can't even imagine like what 2007 must have been like for you. But wow, like we fast forward. 13 years later, and I mean, just even just talking with you, we just see the fire and the passion and zeal for, for the gospel and to go and plant churches alive and well. And so it looks like there was something that God was doing and stirring up I mean, in your own heart and in your own life um, just during that time. And wow, I think as you look back, I'm sure you look at that, that time period or even the different doubts, man, I'm sure you must be so grateful that you held on to God that, you know, you listen to just the advice and wisdom from the people around you and you continue to, to give it your all. And, and now you've been able to witness and see what God has been doing in your midst and, and through your midst as well. And so, man, that must be just amazing to think about. And, you know, I think about like, even for me, when I was like a college student, um, you know, at our church, we hear our vision statement repeated a lot in Acts 2 Church in every college town. And as a college student, being in a college town and getting to experience and see the Acts 2 Church lived out, man, there's something about that that, I don't remember a moment when, but that just caught me. It's like, yeah, this is what I want to live my life for. I want to live my life Gosh. to go and plant churches and rebuild Acts 2 communities in different college towns. And whether that means needing to pack up my bags, quit a job and relocate and uproot myself, like I'm all for it because I want to see souls being saved. And man, I think even now as someone who's graduated college a few years from now, uh, a few years ago, and just thinking about just being marinated in our world's culture, I've seen and felt even at times that vision just slowly doling away at times and different fears that weren't there when I was a college student. As I think about my future, as I think about money, security, uh, those things that, that weren't there, they start to pop in now. But again, I need to go back to the basic gospel message and the great commission that Jesus has given us and not just say, oh yeah, it's a dream for certain people, but no, this is something that God invites me to be a part of yeah. and to be the laborers that get sent out to those harvest fields. And so mm -hmm. yeah, I'm really thankful you got to, to share that with us. Well, man, I, I love that vision, an Acts 2 church in every college town. Like, as you said that, I just, in my mind's eye, like that would change the world. Like literally, if, if that happens, that will change the world. It'll change our culture. And so I, I, I say yes and amen. And I think that's what like you guys grabbing a hold of even now and not letting go of. Like you're not going to be in your early 20s and most likely single for the rest of your life. You probably get married, become dads. You're gonna, you're gonna have hopefully. jobs. <laughs> pray for that? us. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah, yeah, you gotta pray. <laughs> dude, dude, 
For sure. Um, I got gals all the time saying, where are all the good Christian men at? Like they're out in Berkeley. <laughs> Come on. Uh, but, uh, you know, th- those things are going to change, but the, the vision doesn't. Like you can be a, a high powered lawyer in, in, in your forties that is making, you know, six, seven figures even, and you can still desire that. And all of a sudden you realize you're more like a Joseph. God puts you in a place of position and authority and power and wealth in order to bless the mission of God. And so I think as those change, like if God does any of that kind of stuff with you guys and sees your, you see your life kind of shifting to another place, the vision doesn't have to be lost. And here's, here's why I'll tell you that. So I don't know if you guys remember his name. He's not as popular anymore because stuff that happened, but Years ago, when I came into church planting, one of the most prominent figures on the scene was a guy named Mark Driscoll up in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Had a church called Mars Hill. It's now disbanded. It's a bunch of autonomous churches, and he's down in Phoenix. Um, but when I moved to St. Louis, and this is silly to say, I'm a little more, uh, I'm a little bit more uh, easy to say it now because uh, I can laugh at myself more. But when I moved to St. Louis with no people, with no money, with with no reputation, I I was determined in my heart that God was calling me to be the Mark Driscoll of the Midwest. I was going to plant a church that had thousands of people and multiple campuses and TV ministry and radio, all these things. And color me surprised a few years in when my church is still under 200 people and we're not growing gangbusters and things are so hard to get rolling. And here's what I realized though, as I prayed in the midst of that, God just kind of spoke to my spirit and said, Noah, do you believe that the call that I have for you, that Luke 10 to, to litter St. Louis with gospel-centered missional churches? And I said, yes, Lord, that's, that's, I believe that's what I want. That's what I'm upset about not happening. And he says, what if my plan was to do it in a different way than you could have ever thought? So I thought he was going to do it by making me a prominent leader of this big church, and we would have all these resources. But what God did is he caused us to be a church in the city that really had a size cap because we had a footprint that was small. We couldn't really build a bigger building or hold more people. It forced us to send out and multiply. And so to send out to the Illinois side of the river, to send out to North City, to send out to South City, to send out to these different areas of our city. And so instead of being a church that grew deep, we were a church that grew wide. And to be honest, I was a little, I struggled with that for a while. I was like, but God, I really wanted to be Mark Driscoll of the Midwest. I really wanted that. But then God said, you know, he just ultimately, do you want me or do you want the things I could give you? And ultimately, you know, I want him. I want him. I want his call. And so I would just say this, the vision might change, like what it, or the, the mission might change, what it, how you get there, but the vision doesn't have to. And so I just pray you guys never lose in your bones. Like God puts you in these formative years for a reason as a part of this family of churches to hear that vision and Acts to church in every college town. Oh my gosh. And if you would believe that for the rest of your life, even if you're not in one of those college towns, if God puts you in New York city to, to run some company to be a CEO, he may say, I want you to live below your means and I want you to send out resources to the harvest. Who knows? But all I'd say is like, don't let go of the vision that God puts in your heart in these early years. Cause for so many times, God did it with David. God did it with Moses. God did it with leaders all throughout the scriptures. He puts the seed of a vision and then spends the rest of their life playing it out through their life. Yeah, that's, that's really cool that, yeah, you said that. I think, I think, yeah, just thinking about like the reassurance of like, yeah, God using um, weak vessels, using jars of clay um, to shine the light of the gospel. And like, yeah, honestly, like for our church, it's a lot of just normal people. We're just normal I mean, there's like a small percentage of, of exceptional people at our church, but um, the majority of us, we're all just really normal. Honestly, I, I'm like one of those like slightly like below average kind of people, you know, and it's just like, but I think something that I've experienced a lot is just God being able to experience more of God through that, you know, through my, despite my lack of competence, despite, you know, everything that's wrong with me, my own sinfulness and yeah, just the ways that, you know, I know that I'm not working right yet there's still these students coming out and there's still these people that I'm ministering to. And yeah, God is not just working through me, but he's also elevating my life to be about something more noble. Um, and yeah, that's something that, yeah, I, I can really just resonate with. And I think it's something that, yeah, as it's, it's like a unique experience as you take like these scary steps for God. I think like it's, 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 it's something that I, I've experienced more and more as like, I just sort of say yes, without really knowing what, 
is entailed in the yes. You know, and knowing that I'm not enough to fulfill whatever it is I'm saying yes to. So, for example, like we went on like a, a like a vision trip, I guess, of sorts, like a long extended vision trip of, yeah, we went to like Canada. We went to yeah different places in Indiana. And yeah, we just sort of went to go not necessarily plan a church, but just to see, you know, what's the need, the spiritual need on certain campuses. And yeah, I got to experience just going. But I'm not a particularly like bold kind of person i think for me like i try too hard to be like cool and chill and so because that. of that it makes me a little yeah it makes it makes me a little afraid to like talk to people that i don't know but i think i just experienced like yeah god using me even even me like someone who's really bad at like these first impression types of things where i'm like i'm a little intimidating people don't like sort of like they start to like edge away from me or like they feel some sort of like yeah initial intimidation but even through me there's like relationships that are built and yeah just getting to experience like god yeah really seeing that it is god it's a god thing that's being done and so yeah something like as simple like as simple as just like going to talk to someone or something as big as like playing churches i think something that we experience is like yeah it's just the normal people that like yeah we i think like so I, for you, like for you, like I think that like your vision to be the Mark Driscoll of, of St. Louis, like that of the Midwest, that's like, yeah, I think that's a he God takes that and he honors that. And, you know, maybe sort of cuts down the, the you know, tries to deflate our head a bit in the process. <laughs> you know, I, I can relate to that for sure. Yep. But also it takes like, you know, where we feel weak yep. and also elevates that to be useful for the kingdom as well. So yeah. something that that was really cool that I got from your sharing just now. Yeah, you know, you said that that uh, there's only a handful of exceptional people like in your circles. But you know, what's really cool is the longer I'm in this, like I realize there no one's really exceptional. Like I've I've been friends with guys and been around guys that are are the big guys on stage and the big names, and they're just not exceptional. Like they, I don't know why God cho- chose to use them in the way that He did. And we can either like get arrogant like that and be like, well, why isn't God doing that with me? Like there's nothing special about them working, but be like, look at that. Like God gets glory by doing something really special through somebody who's really not that exceptional. But at the same time, if no one's really exceptional, in some ways, everybody is. It's that we're fearfully mm-hmm. and wonderfully made and God has unique purposes and plans for us. And that's what I want to encourage and inspire people in is that, and what I mean, encourage, I mean, literally like the etymology that were to fill with courage is like looking at your own life and being like, I don't have what it takes. Well, praise God, because he never uses anybody that has what it takes. He didn't choose all of David's older brothers. He chose David, the one that, like, surely not, surely not the shepherd boy on the other side of the hill writing songs. Um, but God uses them. And so I think God's going to use people, the, the unexceptional ones to do exceptional things, because that's where he gets the greatest glory. Yeah. You know, in 2017 at our church at Grace Point, we have what we call the Great Scattering where in 2017, we decided to go and plant a bunch of churches out on the East Coast in North Carolina, Pittsburgh, uh, the DMV area. And, you know, one of the teams that went out there went to Pittsburgh and a lot of people on that team, nobody there had ever led a church planting team before. And a a big chunk of the team were people who actually just graduated college. And, you know, just recently we streamed in and we got to see a baptism service of different people getting baptized at our Pittsburgh church at uh, Carnegie Mellon University, as well as the University of, of Pittsburgh. And, you know, we see these people coming and turning their lives to Christ. And we think about like what it took for that to happen. And we, we look at how God really used just the sacrifices of ordinary people, a bunch of people just right out of college to go and move out to the East Coast. And we see God's glory really being revealed and manifested just through even just the, the vessels and the jars of clay uh, that are out there. And as we think about 2021 at our church, we're thinking of this as being another big sending year in terms of going out, sending out church planning teams. As we see like, man, God working and God using um, just even the efforts of ordinary people. Like, man, I think that encourages and inspires us to yeah, want to be part of that movement as well, even if we're not all that awesome. Um, but yeah, we want to see what, what God can do even, even in our midst. That's fantastic. You know, 2021, like in my role with uh, the North American Mission Board at Send Network, like we've been just assuming there's going to be smaller amounts of church planting happening because it's a pandemic and people mm-hmm. are, you know, and we're, we're having a plan for that. But I love the story after story that even in the midst of a pandemic, that God is still multiplying churches and 
Uh, I was a part of an assessment a couple of weeks ago where all these people are like, yeah, God's calling us to plant a church. And it's not in spite of the pandemic. It's like, honestly, because of like all of a sudden we look at the situation that our culture's in, like people need Jesus. And if they don't have the hope of the gospel, things like pandemic can really mess them up. And so let's go plant churches and to reach these people. And so, I mean, that's, that's exciting. I just smile when you guys talk about that, like, Hey, 2021, the year after a, a whole year of pandemic, <laughs> Uh, we're going to get a vaccine and then we're going to transform the world with church planting. I just love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think give it like that idea of church planting. Like I think for us, like, yeah, just give it, I don't know. Maybe it's just our church's culture. The excitement of church planting is not necessarily one of fear. Um, and I think there's a lot of like, I mean, of course there is that a fear of like, Oh, the unknown, but like, um, I think a lot of it is like the excitement and there, I mean, there's hype behind church planting. I, I, I guess that's a good thing I, of all things to be hyped yeah. about. Yeah. But can you like, yeah, as someone who's more experienced in this area, like, can you like sort of describe like maybe an aspect of like the non-glorious aspects of church planting that like people might not think about or consider, you know, when starting a new church? Um, yeah. That maybe, I, I don't know, not, not necessarily like a reality check, but like just as a, as a way of like, Hey, this is what, this is what it takes to start a church. You know, it's not all just, you know, you go there and suddenly you're reaping a huge harvest. There's a lot of like initial, like sowing sowing that needs to happen. And what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of times in church planting, you think about what's going to come, you're going to come to the city. And I think even in your mind, like, and you think about that city, it's always going to be sunny outside and it's going to be like vacation where there's people everywhere and there's engagement and it's fun. You know, I lived in South Florida for a while. And I learned I would much rather vacation in South Florida than live in South Florida. I mean, it's hot all the time. I'm just sweaty. I never get to go to the beach because I'm too busy working. Um, I'd rather just go on vacation, you know, sit on the beach and, and you know, sip like, like lemonade. But it's the same thing with church planting. And we think like, that's what it's going to be. And it's all these, these thoughts in our mind, like the best day possible. And that the worship service is going to be slick and it's gonna, all going to work. And the sound's going to sound good. And we're going to have powerful <laughs> sermons and powerful worship and, our groups are going to make sense and people are going to ask good questions and people are going to get saved. And then you show up and you have church plants and you realize, ah, crap, it's always rainy outside. It feels <laughs> like. like in St. Louis, it's cold and it's, it's, it's dirty and it's, it's grim through like four months out of the year. And that's right before we planted. And here's a story I would tell. We planted and the launch, we had over 200 people at our launch. Our sending church came down from about 45 minutes away. They brought a bunch of people um, another church in another part of town came over and brought some of their members. And we had over 200 people in this room that really should only fit about 150. Just the energy. I preached into a packed room. It was amazing. Week two, we had about 40 people. And then a couple months in, it was the middle of October. We launched in August, August 30th. In the middle of October, I think it was October 13th, because um, I think the number matched the day. I looked up and I'm on stage doing the the opening scripture reading and the bands behind me. And in that moment, there were more people on stage than there were in the seats. I'm very familiar with that feeling. (laughs) I remember in that moment being like, God, did we miss it? Did we miss it? Were we supposed to plant a church? Surely this isn't it. Like I can't raise money like this. Hey, thanks for sending your generous gifts. We had six people hear the messages. (laughs) But, but by God's, by God's grace, this is what God led me to do. And I kid you not, Holy Spirit all over this. This is not my genius. In that moment, God said, have everybody over here, move over there. So we had 40 chairs set out, 13 people in the room. Um, when I got up to preach, the band was now down. So we had 13 people have everybody over here, move over there. So now we had 13 people in 20 chairs. Now that looks a lot more full. And I said, no, look over there. What do you see? And everybody looked to the side and they said, empty chairs. Like, yeah, it's empty. We're going to pray right now that God would fill those up in three months. So we prayed for like three minutes, impassioned prayer. God, fill them up, bring out the loss, bring the harvest. I went to preaching, whatever text I was preaching. I think I was somewhere in the book of Acts. Um, by God's grace, in three months, he filled them up. We went wow. from 13 to, to almost 40. And then it was, okay, do it again. And so we had the room. We moved everybody <laughs> over. God, fill it up in three. And he did it again. Wow. And then, you know, one of the things I was, I was really kind of upset about is we were two years in and we only baptized two people. Now, if you're planting churches 
you're trying to reach the lost and only baptizing two people doesn't sound real great on your reports to your funding organizations, right? And so we are meeting in this rented space on a Sunday night. The Lutheran church let us rent from them because the Baptist church wouldn't. The Baptist church are like, it's too much competition. <laughs> the Lutheran church is like, you can use our gym. You just can't preach in our pulpit because you're not Lutheran. So we use this old gym cafeteria thing. It was dark, it was dirty, and it was dank. I mean, those are the three Ds. And so we turned all <laughs> the lights on, we put black sheets everywhere. We lit some candles because we were hipster. And uh, we did church. Two people baptized in two years. And then we outgrew that space and God moved us to an old Presbyterian building that had been shut down. Every roof leaked. I mean, there was no heat or air conditioning in the entire building. We moved in in November. We got a, we got a forced air heat in the sanctuary. It never got above 63 degrees all winter. It was so cold. Hey, that's rough. <laughs> but, but here's what happened. Here's what happened. We move into that building and it had a baptistry in it. People seeing the baptistry... The conversation just happened naturally. We ended up baptizing 84 people that third year. 84. Wow. wow. We went from a church of 110 to a church of 330 and baptized 84 people. And I baptized them in, in a hot water, in a, in, a, in a baptismal that had a 60-gallon hot water tank, and it was a 600-gallon tank. It was Ooh. cold. It was in the 50s. <laughs> but it was like shekinah glory every time somebody came out you know gasping <laughs> yeah. for breath but also just yeah. the, all that to say is like we never had enough money and we still don't like our facilities were horrible but they had four four walls and a roof um we never had the best sound system the best decor any of that stuff i mean we didn't even get the bathrooms fixed in that building we was 2011 we moved into it we didn't get the bathrooms fixed we had one shooter for the men one shooter for the women for seven years because we didn't have enough money to plant churches and get new bathrooms. And so we just kept planting churches. Um, so all of this is like, it's not sexy. It's not glorious. Like you think of the one church that starts somewhere and they do, and it looks like that. It ain't going to be that. The rest of us are just fighting to be alive in five years. Oh, but what a glorious fight to watch. Like is God ever, like we're in budget season right now. And I'm getting a report every week. And like, praise God, we have enough money to pay our bills. Like, yes, like, <laughs> it still exhilarates me. I'm going to go before our covenant members in a couple of weeks and say, look at the faithfulness of God. Another year, another year of God's faithfulness. Should we do it again? Absolutely. Let's go. And I think that's, what's beautiful about church planting is it's, it's so much like a startup company. You know, you're going to have a lot of entrepreneurs uh, in your demographic among your friends, I'm sure that want to start this and that and the gig culture and all this stuff and be like, that's what church planning is, except we're not trusting the economy. We're not trusting social trends. We're trusting the God of the universe to provide yeah. and to make it work. Yeah. And in a way, like, like we want to fight that sort of sense of settledness and feeling like, oh, yeah, we're enough. Like, we have enough and we're good. Like, in the Bible, that's always when it goes south, you know, when David, he feels established. And, yeah, that's, a, that's the turning point when his kingdom just sort of starts to fall apart is when... Yeah. He's sort of like, yeah, I can take a break now. I can chill. And yeah, I, I like, I think just real, like, as I'm listening to you, I'm like realizing like, Hey, like, yeah, this is, this is where we want to be. You know, this is, this is the place that, you know, God can work the most is when we need to rely on him. Like it's unfortunate that it has to be that way that like, you know, human nature and our hearts is such that like when we feel settled and established, like that's when sin just comes in just full force. But you know, I think it's, it's a beautiful place to be, you know, when you, we are, when you are like in that place of struggle and yeah, I, I really admire the fact that you guys, yeah, you continue to just put yourself in uncomfortable situations where, yeah, you don't know, maybe yeah, you don't know if you'll make the budget, you know, the following year. I think that's, that's really crazy. And that's really awesome and admirable for sure. Something that, yeah, as we try to do church planting, like, yeah, I think a lot of times maybe my goal is to feel like, okay, we can handle this, but maybe that's not what we should be aiming for ever. You know, we shouldn't ever feel like, oh, we can do this because that takes away from, you know, the, the ability to experience God in that way. So that's really cool. I think that's just something that's really admirable for sure. You know, it's asking God, what are you up to? What do you want to do? I think that's the question and, and all of that, like with church planting, with, with starting new ministries, with, with even just starting a new Bible study as a part of your church in another dorm or another group of people. It's, uh, it's not, can we take this on? It's God, what are you up to? 
because um, you might be, you might have the ability to do a bunch. And it's like, oh, awesome, because God's providing that. Um, and I think that's super important. It's just living according to the spirit. Um, and so the apostle Paul did even on his missionary journeys, it was, he wanted to go here and the Holy Spirit said, no, and close the door. I wanted to go here, close the door. You're going to go here instead. Other times it's just book of Acts tells us he just picked a city and went. And so I think it's just Holy Spirit, what are you up to? And we're going to follow you no matter what that looks like. And trust you're going to take us in that direction. Yeah. And I think that that goes a little bit with your story that you shared too. And just how, man, how you, know, you guys as a church prayed those bold, passionate prayers and really asked God and the Holy Spirit to fill that room with different people. And I mean, I think I can find myself when things are discouraging, things are hard to just slow down, even in just the boldness of my prayers and just pray kind of nice altruistic prayers, but ones that aren't bold, like, you know, hey, God, hopefully, uh, you know, we can meet somebody that would talk to us or have a spiritual interest, but nothing like, hey, God, can, can we, this room be filled with 40 souls? Hey, God, can we say, can, yeah, can you bring salvation to this many people on these campuses? And I think as we think about church planting in the future, I mean, there's that temptation of, okay, let's just survive and make sure our, our little fort, you know, is holding up and it's okay. But no, like that we should go just with the expectation and with the hope and the reliance upon God that he's going to be at work and he's going to want to use us to bring salvation uh, to people. And, and to that end, that we're going to continue to pray fervently and we're going to continue to hold on and be faithful and not quit when things get tough. I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, Pastor Ed Kang, uh, he spoke at our Send Network gathering last February before pandemic hit. And uh, he spoke from the book of Acts and just kind of walked through and the stair step, the book of Acts, he stopped at like chapter, uh, chapter 11. I wish we'd just given him three hours and he did the entire book, but he was talking about this, the move, the building towards the movement of the church in Antioch and how it, you saw it's, it's, it's framework, but all that to say, he's a brilliant teacher in the book of Acts. And he says, you know, the vision is an Acts two church in every college town, but here's what I would say. Uh, encouragement for you guys. It's not only an Acts 2 church, but an Acts 4 church. Because in Acts 4, that's the first time they experience the pushback. And what happens is they gather together for, for a prayer meeting and they pray, Lord, consider their threats and stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through your servants. Um, and the place that they met was shaken. And so like an Acts 2 church is an Acts 4 church. And so it's a church that says, we're going to do these rhythms. We're going to live these rhythms like the early church. But one of those rhythms was giving themselves to prayer, the bold prayers of believing God to do powerful stuff. And um, I love that because in Acts 2 church, uh, there is no age limit on that. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's not, we're going to plant a college in every college town. It's we're going to plant an Acts 2 church. And so you can be 20, 30, 70, and you can still be an Acts 4 church as well. Oh, man. No, I was going to say, if I could go back, I might just adopt that as the mission and vision for, for my church planting. Like, I'll, I'll, I'm moved right now, friend. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm fired up too. Like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so as we kind of wrap up, uh, do you have any, like, last words of wisdom, advice, or encouragement you want to give us or our listeners? Um, a lot of our listeners are college students um, on the college campuses during these, this time of uh, the pandemic. And as a church, we've been thinking about this, uh, yeah, this upcoming year as a big year for us to send out church planning teams. Do you have any uh, last words you'd want to share with us and with them? Yeah, so um, I heard this, this poem years ago. And when I left South Florida after my year of being down there and training to come back to St. Louis, I, I wrote it on a sticky note and I put it in the desk drawer of the guy who was going to be taking over my role at that church in South Florida. And then three years later, he moved up to help plant another church with me. But um, it's a poem by a pretty famous guy now. His name is C.T. Studd. And what an amazing name, you know, to be a theologian, last name Studd. But um, the refrain of the poem goes like this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And I think that that's what I would say to not only college students, but to every, every person, like we, we really only do get one life. We get one shot at this. And I want us to envision our lives like a sponge. And we stand before God at that judgment day. He's going to wring us out like a sponge. And the goal is that there is nothing left, that every drop of glory was wrung out in this life. I don't want to stand before him and him wring it out. It would be all of this glory that I missed out on bringing him. And so there's only one life. And right now, there's a pandemic as part of it. But each and every day as I get up and I, and I prayerfully consider, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? It's 
there's only one life. I don't get this year back. And so be wise, but do the things that the spirit is leading you to do. Like there's no tomorrow guaranteed. There's no next life. And so uh, only what's done for Christ will, li- will last. Um, and there's a, to go along with that, there's a, a line from um, the movie Troy where Brad Pitt's character, Achilles, you know, he's, he wears a leather skirt. It's the only dude ever to wear a leather skirt and not get made fun of. But um, uh, he's having this interaction with a guy and he's going to go do something. And the guy's like, oh, I wouldn't do that. And he's like, and that's why no one will remember your name. Well, the whole concept is like people who are remembered, like they, they take chances, they take risks. Now, this isn't about our glory. So I flip it and say, I want Jesus's name to be remembered through my life. And that means I've, I'm going to do things that matter. I'm going to do things that look ridiculous sometimes. I'm going to do things that are sacrificial. Um, and so just dare you to do it. Dare you to surrender that one life that you have to the Lord Jesus and watch what he'll do. Noah, have you read J.D. Greer's new book, uh, What Are You Going to Do With Your Life? I have not. That because so I listen. We listen, our team listened to that book on our recent vision trip. That line from C.T. Studd is used. He J.D. Greer uses at the end of every chapter. So I was like, whoa! whoa, whoa. <laughs> I just heard that line many times in the last uh, in the last week or so. But uh, Amen. Sounds like the Lord's trying to tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah, you're right. You got me. You got me. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Thank you so much, Noah, yeah, for coming you, on. I think, yeah, it's been yeah, just an honor to, and just feel really encouraged. Um, like literally, yeah, filled with courage to continue to go. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just yeah, try to fulfill this vision of an Acts two church in every college town. And yeah, I think something that just want to leave listeners with is yeah, you, I mean, you look at Noah's life, you you know, and you hear what he's saying, and you don't feel sad for him. You don't feel sorry for him, right? God is not calling you to a life of suffering for the suffering's sake. You know, it's suffering because it leads to glory, not just in this life. You know, Jesus does promise that he makes that promise of of hundredfold and having, you know, houses, brothers, mothers, and sisters, you know, and, but then it's also that eternal weight of glory that is waiting for us that Apostle Paul talks about. And you just can sense the excitement and it's, it's just growing, you know, as Noah, 38 years old, you know, from your voice (laughs) and from how you talk about it you know, more passionate than most 22 year olds. Right. And so for the listeners, come on, like it's, it's not a sad life that God is calling you to. It's a life full of joy, full of excitement. And yeah. What are you going to do with your life anyway? Right. So, amen. Amen. all right. Thank you so much Noah, for coming on. We really appreciate your time and yeah, just taking time to encourage younger, younger guys like us. Um, yeah, it's on, it's on shoulders of, giants like you and pastor ed and all the other people that we get to see a little far, farther you know <laughs> so. hey, hey bless you guys and the work of your hands keep it up and i uh, appreciate what you're doing to to move the mission forward cool thanks all right uh, thanks man zooming out all right we're zooming out <laughs>